0: Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 20. John chapter 20 and we uh, last week were in John 19 and the last few verses there and we were with Jesus as he had gave up the ghost. He had said it is finished and right after that uh, two disciples, the Bible called them secret disciples uh, by the name of Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus that we read about in John chapter 3. These two men, they Come and get the body of Jesus. And last week I preached on on the body of Jesus and how it was buried. And often we kind of skim over that por- portion of of the text. We go right from the cross to the to the tomb or the resurrection. But I feel like we, uh, as a church, need to uh, stop and and examine these verses. They're in there for a reason. And as I was reading John 20 a few weeks ago, getting prepared for. The last two chapters of John, excuse me, and the last two ta- chapters of John, I uh, uh, thought to myself, and I'd never seen this before, I thought about uh, the tomb and the clothes in the tomb, the grave clothes. And I want to read to you out of John 20, and we'll refer back to Matthew chapter uh, 28 and 27 a little bit. Look with me in John chapter 20 and verse number 1. The Bible says, The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene. Early, And when it was yet dark unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taketh away from the sepulchre, and then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulchre. And so they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came, to the first, uh, came first to the sepulcher, and stooping down, looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, and yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and he went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead, then the disciples went away again unto their own home. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the op- opportunity to preach and the awesome responsibility of, of, of preaching the text verse by verse, line upon line, and precept upon precept. And Lord, I pray that you will... Help us uh, gather what you have in store for us today as we preach the Word. I pray that you'll help us in Jesus' name, amen. Several years ago during the uh, COVID season when things were not normal and we were shut down as far as the society, a lot more staying at home, and uh, there was a lot more documentaries on television at the time. and. Uh, we got fascinated with some documentaries and different things like that. And, and I was watching a documentary concerning the death of Medgar Evers, a, a black civil rights worker who was shot to death in his own driveway uh, during the 1963 time down in Mississippi. In the early 90s, his son, at the request of his son, he, he uh, requested that the body of his father be exhumed and brought back and so they did. They started an open investigation that nobody knew what happened to Mr. Evers. And so they uh, brought him back 30 years later, dug his casket up, opened up the casket. To their surprise, his clothes—the same clothes that they buried him in—was still intact and actually fairly uh, or barely worn. They were they were actually um, surprised. Then his body was preserved a lot better than they assumed. We're talking about a 30-year body. It was remarkable. They did a test also on that, and and they were uh, doing an autopsy to discover uh, the reason and maybe start conversations as to why Mr. Evers died and who was there, did you see something, and it was on the news for a while. They interviewed people, and I'm not really sure uh, whatever became of that after the documentary, but it was very interesting. It caused me to start to think about another tomb that was open, but it wasn't opened by man, it was opened by the will of God. And inside that tomb was not a body, but clothes was there. And I was reading in John 20 about this, and... And there's many aspects of the resurrection. We could preach, for instance, on the soldiers at the resurrection, uh, the tomb guards. We could, we could preach about the stone that was rolled away. We could preach about uh, Pilate and his uh, behavior toward the tomb. And we could preach about the angel that was on the stone and, and different things about the resurrection, the earthquakes and the, and the different things that went on. But today I want to preach on this aspect that I'd never preached on before out of these verses on the grave clothes that was in the tomb, the grave clothes. Let's, let's consider the grave clothes that Jesus left in that tomb. Sometimes we preach and we'll just say, without, I think without thinking, we'll say, and when they went inside the tomb, there was nothing there. But there was something there. Jesus left evidence behind. And it preaches an awesome message. In that precious message, I, I, I would like for us to just try and grasp what the grave clothes are saying to us today. I want you to go back with me in verse number five of John chapter 20. Verse number five, the Bible says, And he, stooping down, looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter, following him, and went in unto the sepulchre, and seeth the linen clothes lie. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Now, as I said earlier, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus took the body of Jesus and prepared it for burial in a new tomb that belonged to Joseph. It was a borrowed tomb. They placed his body in the tomb, and those Jewish leaders uh, asked Pontius Pilate to seal the tomb and place a detachment of Roman soldiers around the tomb. We we find that in Matthew chapter 27. They were worried about the body of Jesus, and they were worried about maybe disciples coming in and stealing it, or maybe somebody else coming in and stealing the body. And so Pilate says, why don't we get some soldiers out there and, and guard the tomb, and let's seal that stone and make sure that nobody goes in that tomb. And of course, the Bible tells us clearly that on Sunday morning, something strange began to happen around the tomb on the third day. Matter of fact, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. I'll read to you what happens around that tomb on Easter Sunday morning, resurrection day. Matthew 28 and verse number 1, the Bible says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. That's a lot of activity in four verses. I don't know about you, if you've never been in an earthquake before, I don't think they're very pleasant to be in when the earth is shaken, things are falling. I've never been in what I would call a severe earthquake, but I have felt what they call tremors before. And I don't like anything that's shaken without an explanation, amen? I don't like to just be standing somewhere and all of a sudden, did you feel that? I don't want to feel that. I'd rather be on solid ground. I'd rather be on ground that's just safe and secure. But when this earth shook, hey, I can tell you right now, it was more than a tremor. It was an earthquake. I'm talking about things were happening. And them soldiers were fearful. All of a sudden, an angel comes and appears. And, and the Bible says that he was his face was like lightning. And you could imagine that the uh, that the soldiers around the tomb is like, what? In the tarnation is going on. You know they're from the south. And uh, what in tarnation is going on? And so they see this angel with a lightning face, and the Bible says they fall dead uh, as dead men to the ground. Not, not, that, not that they were dead, but I believe they were passed out. They could not believe, and they fainted, and they were all scattered around. The tomb. Now I can, uh, I can assure you that if I did not know the Bible and did not know Jesus at that time and I was maybe a scoffer or maybe someone that was just there, I probably too would be as a dead man on the ground after seeing a, a figure, a man, on top of the stone and, and the earth quaking. There's a lot of activity. A supernatural event took place and the stone that was used to seal the tomb was rolled back and the angel of the Lord was the one who did it. And this was done not by the disciples. No, they were off in an upper room for fear. You can read about that in John chapter, uh, I believe John chapter 20 and verse 19. They did not even show their face. Why? Because they too could be crucified. They too could be put to death. And they were hiding because people knew that they had been identified with Jesus. Now when Mary finds the tomb in this condition, She runs according to the text and she goes and tells the disciples and Peter and John, and they begin to race to the tomb. I find it interesting that John, the writer of this gospel, he refers to himself as the other disciple. He outruns Peter. You notice he mentions that. I'm a more fast runner than Peter is, and so I don't know why he put that in there, but he, he beat him to the tomb, and he apparently ran a little faster than Peter did, and they make it to the tomb. And when they arrive at the tomb... They're making sure that it's the right tomb. Now think about this for a minute. The last time they had witnessed Jesus was his death on the cross. And it was a horrible death. It was, a, it was a death. that The Bible says in Isaiah that his visage was marred like any other man. Nobody had ever died like Jesus died. And they witnessed it. They knew that Jesus had died. And they knew uh, that he was going to be buried. There's no way this man was living after all that he went through. Only to come to the tomb and find no one there. All that they see when they look in is grave clothes of the Lord Jesus either collapsed in a pile as if his body came right through them or having been hardened by chemicals and the the, the spices and the things that they had wrapped Jesus in. But he did not resuscitate, he resurrected. And I believe that his body came right through those clothes. Either way, it paints quite a picture that when they see it in a place by itself, the napkin laid aside by Joseph and Nicodemus that he he used to wrap the face of Jesus and the head of Jesus, and and it's placed separately away from the bandages and the grave clothes. The tomb is in a perfect picture, a perfect order. Now, stay with me. I'm just laying a little groundwork for this. I know you know the story, and I know that it's August and it's not April, and I know we're preaching on the resurrection another time besides Easter, and it's okay, right? We need to be reminded of the resurrection often. But the tomb is a perfect picture of absolute order because the news of the resurrection became public knowledge. The Jewish leaders, uh, they had concocted a story to try to conceal the fact that Jesus was alive. Matter of fact, turn with me to Matthew 28 and we'll read how conniving these Jewish leaders are. The Bible says in Matthew 28 verse 11, Now when they were going, Behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. Meaning this is after the resurrection. So they come in, they're like, hey, this man is no longer in the tomb. We've got to do something. Look at verse 12. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. So we're going to bribe you. We're going to pay you off if you will just tell people that he did not resurrect, that you can't explain it. Tell the people that when, that when you did not find the body, that you must believe that it's the disciples that were the ones that stole his body. Verse 14, and after this, come to the governor's ears. We will persuade him. We'll bribe him too and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught and saying, this is commonly reported among the Jews unto this day. So this was the news. I want you to consider some things about those verses there. That if it was the disciples that had removed the body of Jesus as the Jews claimed in Matthew chapter uh, 28, as they claimed, how did they remove the body without disturbing the wrapping? Now these are just logical questions that we must ask ourselves. They would not have taken the time to put the wrappings back in order. I mean, we're talking about a time frame of just a few minutes. And so when they were even attempted such thing, after all, they had forsook Jesus and fled all night and was eventually somewhere arrested. And if it was a grave robbers, as others have suggested, how did they remove the body? Would they have just taken such pains? Of course not. I don't believe they would have even went through the trouble. And if it was the Jewish leaders that took the body for fear of the disciples, would they have not presented the body of our Savior eventually and saying, hey, we've got the body, here he is. And guess what? If they would have taken it, uh, taken it and would have presented it to the people, Christianity would have dissolved like an Alka-Seltzer. They wouldn't have no grounds. Why? Because our Savior's dead. So those arguments, according to the text, the only logical conclusion to the matter is that the tomb was a scene of order and calm because Jesus had merely passed through the grave clothes. He was not there. And it's a a peaceful message. But number two, it's a powerful message. Look at verse 5 of, of uh, John chapter 20 and verse number 5. The Bible says, and he's stooping down, looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. So the empty grave clothes preached a powerful message on early Sunday morning. It told a vivid story of a risen Savior. Those garments lying there in fashion proclaimed to the world everything that Jesus Christ had claimed to be. Everything that he had preached, everything that he had promised was true. And just three days, the disciples had watched their Lord be arrested, be tried, be convicted, and be crucified. That's a lot in three days. The disciples had witnessed all of that and now they had tangible proof that Jesus was alive and well. Why? Because they had grave clothes in the tomb. The fact that Jesus lives gives power to His promises. Listen, if there be no resurrection... You think about it. All the teachings and the preaching in the New Testament. Where has the power come from? Where has the validation come from? Where is the validation of the gospel come from? Listen, one uh, could say, well, the death on the cross. And we preached about the cross a few weeks. And I'm thankful for the cross. It is the emblem of suffering and shame. And I'm thankful for the blood that run uh, run down Calvary's cross. But my friend, listen, many a man had died on the cross. Now, no man had ever died like Jesus. But many a Man died on the cross, but no man had ever resurrected out of a tomb. The power of God is in the resurrection. God raised His Son, Jesus. And by the way, it validates His claims to be the only way to God. It validates it. Read John chapter 14. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. How can we know that? We can know that because he arose from the dead. How do we know that? Hey, uh, it's a power that gives hope to all those who come to him for salvation. If you'll come to him, he will in no wise cast out. The power is in uh, the uh, resurrection power that Jesus did. It gives confidence to those who are lost in sin. You say, Pastor, I came here today. I'm at the very bottom of the barrel. I'm at my wit's end. I'm at the end of my rope. I feel like there's no hope left. Listen, there is hope because we have a risen Savior. He is alive. There is hope. It's a powerful message because it tells us that the Father accepted the death of Jesus on the cross for payment for our sin. 35 times in your Bible it tells us that God raised him from the dead. 35 times. Now if Jesus said that or God said that one time in the Bible we could say boy one time Jesus or was raised by the dead by God his Father but 35 times? If if you hear something 35 times, you'd say, boy, I'll tell you one thing, they're trying to tell us something. 35 times in your Bible and in my Bible, the Bible says that God raised him from the dead. So if Jesus had been any other man, his bones would have rotted, right? There'd been dust, bone dust. There would have been decay. But because he was the sinless, perfect Lamb of God, the Son of God. It is not possible that death could hold him according to Acts chapter 2. Death could not hold him. Oh no, it wasn't that death avoided him. It was just death could not hold him. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. It gets better. Oh, it gets much better because he left his grave clothes behind they preach a message of not only peace, they preach a message not only as powerful, but they preach a message that is promising. It's promising. Look with me in verse 7. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Now, we often think about the resurrection. I've heard talk about grave clothes. I've heard them talk about this and that. And, uh, but very seldom do you hear about the napkin that Joseph and Nicodemus used to wrap our Savior's face and his head. John calls the attention. He takes one Bible verse and calls our attention to the fact that the napkin was used to cover his blessed face in death and was folded neatly, laid to the side. As custom in some other countries, a man with servants, when eating a meal, would often use his napkin to signal to the servants during the course of the meal. For instance, if he was done with the meal and he had ate his food, he would take the napkin that he would use to wipe his uh, wipe his mouth off with the remnants of the meal, and he would just wad it up in the middle of his Table or the middle of his sitting, and just kind of throw it there, signaling to the servants, you can take my plate, I'm done, I'm finished. But if a man who had servants folded his napkin and did it properly and laid it there in a very orderly way, it would signal to his servants that I'm stepping away from my plate, but I am coming back. When the disciples came into the tomb that morning to discover the body of Jesus, they walked inside the tomb. They did not find the napkin that Jesus had around his face wadded up and put down. They found the napkin in which laid our Savior's face folded up neatly. You say, preacher, what do you think that tells us? He said, I'm stepping away for a little bit, but I'm coming back. Amen. And the disciples knew by the sign. You say, how do you know? Well, Mark, according to Mark chapter 1 and verse number 20, he probably knew this custom and quickly grasped the meaning of a folded napkin. Why? Because he too was from a family of wealth and knew about servants and how that operated. Mary missed the napkin in taking his body away. Mary missed the napkin and supposed the gardener had moved the body of the Lord by chapter 20 and verse 15 of John. But John, who being raised with servants, he knew the custom and quickly picked up on it. And now, this morning, you and I, among those who accept the gospel message of the resurrection by faith, we did not see Jesus alive. We did not see Jesus hanging on a cross. We we did not see Jesus uh, die on a cross. We did not see Jesus placed in a tomb. However, the folded napkin is still preaching today that I did die on the cross. I was buried. I did ascend back to heaven and arose from the dead and ascend back to heaven. But one day, I will come again. I'm ex- Listen, I'm so excited about the return of Christ. I'm so excited that Jesus Christ is coming back. I still believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. I know that's not very popular among uh, Baptists today and Christianity today. They're, they're scoffing at the fact that Jesus would come and rapture His church before tribulation takes place. I realize that a mid-tribulation rapture is, uh, uh, is a lot more prevalent today than you even know. And uh, I certainly don't understand a post-tribulation rapture where we would go through all those years of uh, torment and separation and tribulation but listen, I'm not going to argue with you about it, I just believe that one day before all of that breaks out that one day Jesus Christ will come to the clouds uh, along with Gabriel and Gabriel will blow his uh, trumpet and and there'll be a shout and the dead in Christ shall rise according to the resurrection and those that were alive and remain shall be caught up together in the clouds and so shall we ever be with the Lord. You say preacher Why can we believe in that? Because Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave. The power of the resurrection, and He is coming back. And don't lose hope. Our Master has left us assurance that very soon, He will return and take us to be with Him forever. I also believe that this is not only a powerful message and a promising message, but it's a persuasive message. I want you to see something I'd never seen before. Look with me in verse 5 of John chapter 20. The Bible says, And he stooping down, and notice this, this phrase here, four words, And looking in saw. See that? The linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Now these verses, I believe, tell us what Peter and John did during that time. They arrived at the tomb. It kind of gives us a little uh, look into what Peter and John was doing when they uh, arrived at the tomb. But the Bible says in verse 5 that John saw something when he walked in the tomb. Stooping down, he looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. I looked up that little word, saw. And I was interested in that word Saul because the word Saul means to take a glance or to look at something. So it means to maybe not fixate your eyes, but just to look. So John, apparently according to verse 5, he walked into the tomb and he saw the linen clothes. And I believe after he saw, he did not see anything else and he backed out. It refers to a brief fleeting glimpse. This is not what John did when he, when he, when he got there, uh, or this is what John did when he got there. He took a quick glance at the tomb and he saw that Jesus was not there and that his grave clothes was still there. Now, look at the next verse in verse 6. So here comes Peter. He follows John in and he goes into the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes lie. So John saw Peter seeth. So he goes in after that word seeth. I'm interested in that. It means to scrutinize. So John just took a quick glance. He sees some clothes laying over there and, and he backs out. Peter goes in and he starts to examine or to scrutinize, to look around. And it means with a keen eye to catch all the facts. It reminds to, to, to the mind's eye. It, it reminds me of an investigator. Peter begins to investigate the tomb. He saw the grave clothes and the napkin lying by itself. But then look at verse 8. This is a different than verse 5. John goes back in, that other disciple. So verse 8, then went in also that other disciple which came first to the sepulcher. So this is John. And when he saw, notice, and believed. The first time John goes in, he just sees some grave clothes. He, he just did a little quick glance. He backs out. He says, I don't know. Peter goes in. He examines. He investigates. He scrutinizes the tomb. He sees some things. John goes back in, looks again. This time, the Bible says, he looks with understanding. That word Saul, in verse 8, it means with understanding understanding this time he comes and he goes huh oh yeah this is what Jesus was talking about they didn't have a Bible all they had to go by was the words of Jesus all those three and a half years that they walked with him and Jesus would talk about this body you'll try to destroy but in three days I'll raise it up again and John's trying to think the first time he walks in he's like oh oh I see some okay all right Peter goes in, and you can probably hear Peter. Hmm. Hmm. Takes him a little bit. Huh. Okay. All right. John says, hey, hey, hey. He sees, and the Bible says, immediately he believes. Immediately. If a lost sinner looks at an empty tomb, he can come up with a dozen reasons. Maybe a dozen things that could happen, or maybe why it's not even true. After all, men die, they're gone. They do not get up. They, they do not come back to life. I mean, good grief. I mean, Lazarus and that stuff. Come on. John chapter, come on. We, we, we talked about that. I mean, that really? Really? But when an honest heart takes time to scrutinize, and examine the evidence. Read the Bible. And look at all the facts. That heart can say, I can believe. Why are we doing? We believe by faith. We believe by faith. Hey, this God is alive. There is no other logical explanation. Have you been persuaded this morning? Have you looked for yourself? Have you examined yourself. I'm not saying have you went to uh, Jerusalem and looked inside the tomb and you've walked in there. We don't even know what tomb that is. I've been to several locations and they can't tell you 100% they know what tomb it is. But let me just say this. It don't matter what tomb it is. All I know is he's alive. Why? Because the Bible says he's alive. And by faith we trust. And by the way, the Jews still to this day believe the disciples took his body away. You go over there today and you talk to those Jews over in Israel and they do not believe in a resurrection. They do not believe in it. They believe someone stole the body of Jesus. How sad. How sad that they have been blinded. And if they did, would someone please explain to me why every one of his disciples, exception of John, here's a little bit of apologetics for you. Would you explain to me why every of his disciples other than John died? Because they preach the resurrection? You don't die for something you don't believe. Oh, I believe the disciples stole his body. Well, they died for the faith. That doesn't make much sense, does it? John was the only one that God in his sovereignty left to write the book of Revelation. John wrote this book and wrote the book of Revelation. We we understand that John was prophetically needed, but, but he was boiled alive and exiled to Patmos and they tried to kill John. But listen to me, all the other disciples beheaded. And when that sickle is by your neck, you're going to recant the faith. You're going to deny. You're going to say, okay, 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 I hid his body in such and such. Nobody said that. Why? Because they could not. He was alive. And I thank God that he's still alive. There's more to this. It's a personal message. It's a personal message. See, this whole chapter, now we're going to dissect this chapter. I'll preach out of John 20 for a few more weeks as we go verse by verse. But this chapter unfolds. Each person who is confronted with the empty tomb of Jesus and the grave clothes, is forced to make a decision. You notice that? Every one of them. I mean, if we were to go through the text and and preach about Mary Magdalene and Thomas the doubter and John and Simon Peter, for instance, John in verse number 8, it was belief for him instantly. There's some of you sitting in here today that when you heard the gospel for the very first time, very clear, you accepted the gospel. You believed it by faith. If I were to say, hey, and I don't want to embarrass anyone, I don't think it would embarrass you, but, but you would say, I heard the gospel for the very first time and when I heard it and understood it, I believed instantly. But there's some of you sitting here today, you heard the gospel many times and you had to just analyze it, think about it. Maybe you were steeped in some religion. Maybe you were uh, in some type of works-based religion. Maybe you were in Catholicism or maybe Jehovah's Witnesses or, or maybe the Mormons or maybe some other religion that taught works as salvation. And so you had to unravel that. You had to take that apart in order to believe the gospel. Hey, there's some that just believe. And let me just say this. When you hear the gospel and you have not believed and you walk out those doors and you leave, you're taking a chance. You're taking a chance. I beg of you today believe the gospel. If you're lost today believe. Believe with all your heart. So John, he believed instantly. Peter, the truth came a little bit more slowly. It seemed like he came a little slower. Mary Magdalene, she finds her heart is still gripped in her grief. If you look at verses 11 through verse 17, Mary Magdalene, she is such in disarray and grieving and then she finally has an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus appears to her and speaks peace to her. The disciples are unsure what happened to Jesus. And Jesus meets them in the midst with a message of peace. All the other disciples. And then there's Thomas. Remember, Thomas wasn't with the disciples. There's all a bunch of speculation on where Thomas is at the time. We've been hard on Thomas. I don't think we ought to be as hard on him as we, we should. We get to heaven, we'll find out why. I believe Thomas, according to historians, he looked like Jesus's twin. Many say that Thomas could have passed for Jesus, and that's why Judas kissed him on the cheek. Now think about this. If your twin was wanted for, and they were going to kill him, and they just crucified him, your twin, they're looking for him, and it's not very popular to be associated with Jesus, and especially if you look just like him, do you think you'd be a little extra hiding or could it be that Thomas was actually more bold than the other disciples? He wasn't there hiding. Well, what, what, where was he? Well, we don't know. I've heard preachers say, well, bless God, he wasn't in church when he ought to been. Well, that ain't what the Scripture says. But whatever you think. But he comes to Thomas, and Thomas doubted. And guess what Jesus did? Jesus showed him personally. Jesus showed him. He met him right where he was. Guess what Jesus will do? Church, look at me. Jesus will meet you right where you are. Right where you are. He knows exactly what you need. And there's only two ways to respond to this message. Only two ways. You accept it or you reject it. You cannot be just the middle of the road. You cannot be undecided. You either accept the truth of the resurrection or you reject the truth of the resurrection. And to their credit, all of these responded, uh, responded by accepting the message of a risen Jesus. And the question that we are left this morning is, what about you? What about you? No doubt in a room this size, with this many people here, uh, and I preach the same message in the 830 service, no doubt someone in here has unbelief. You have not received Jesus Christ as your Savior. There's still some doubt. There's still some hesitation. There's still this. Listen, while you have time, believe. I believe one day I'll preach my last message. One day I'll kiss my wife for the last time. One day I'll hug my children for the last time. One day I'll preach my last meeting on the road for the last time. One day we'll do the thing. Why? Because Jesus could come. If we don't go by way of the grave, we'll go by way of the rapture. Either way, we're going to be just fine. But one day there'll be a last. One day there'll be a final. And you say, well, pastor, I'll get saved one day when I'm ready. Listen, now's the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. If you're putting off salvation, if you're putting, on, uh, of putting off the belief in the gospel, some are telling us today that this is not a real resurrection. Some are actually scoffing at the resurrection of Christ, and they're saying it's not a real re- resurrection. It's symbolic. That's blasphemy. That's a false gospel. Matter of fact, Paul said in, I believe, Romans chapter 10, he said, if we'll confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath, what? Raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. You cannot be saved unless you confess Jesus. And you confess not just your belief in him, because we know the devil believes in Jesus. You confess Jesus that he is the Son of God, that he died for your sins and that he rose again. On the third day. We believe and we confess. For whosoever believeth shall be saved. If you remove the resurrection from the doctrines of Christianity, our faith falls apart. Have you believed in a risen Savior? Have you believed? I dare say that no other... Grave clothes in history has ever preached a glorious, timeless message as did the grave clothes of Jesus. And I am thankful this morning that he he gives us this message and I'm thankful that he lives. I'm thankful that he's interceding on our behalf right now and there's indisputable evidence in his tomb that he lives. We're in here today. Matter of fact, Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, he said that I may know him... The power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. Is that power active in your life? The reason we could get up this morning and come to church is because He lives. You think about this. What good would it be for us to gather if Jesus Christ was in a tomb somewhere? I don't understand these other religions that their their God can go. You can go to a grave. You can go to a tomb. You can go to a spot and say, well, there's where our founder is. We can't take you nowhere, friend. I'm telling you, I can't take you anywhere. Only place I can take you is over there, Jerusalem. And we can't even show you the exact place. Why? He's not there. We can celebrate today. Every day we can celebrate in the life of a Christian. We serve a risen Savior. And by the way, that's why we can go to His throne room boldly. The veil was rent at Calvary. There's no longer means for us to go and go to a priest or go to someone. We can go straight to Jesus, uh, to the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ, because the blood has been applied at the mercy seat, and we can pray to a, a, a God who loves us through His Son, Jesus, who died for us. Why? Because He's alive forevermore. I hope today that you have placed your faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. If you have not, we'd love for you to leave today saved instead of undecided.